This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So welcoming God's presence into this place. And I want to just say you are welcome here. I think we all come at different parts of the faith journey. And as I said in my prayer, I don't believe the faith journey is one of certainty. Matter of fact, I believe when people search for certainty and they somehow conflate that with faith, we somehow miss something. We miss the wonder that faith can bring to our lives. The enchantment that faith can bring to our lives. I think our lives do go through these patterns. I mean, I imagine a lot of you recognize this pattern. We find life, we lose life, we find life... We go through that over and over again. And the Bible talks about this constantly. The losing life, the the Greek word there, oftentimes in the Bibles used the word psyche, which is really interesting. And the word for finding life again, the word there, this is a shout out to one of our young families, is Zoe. Zoe, a new life, a bigger life. And it's not bigger that it's more grandiose, it's just bigger in that we're more free, more able to be who we actually are. And faith goes through these same stages. And and it's interesting, with faith and with life, like, when you see somebody who's really living into their life, it, it tends, at least for me, to give me faith in humanity, faith in the human condition. I want to introduce to you Sam Barsky. So Sam has, Sam has an interesting hobby. He was featured in the New York Times last week. What he does is he picks out different monuments in the country, and then he hand-knits a sweater to show that monument. So this is a picture of him at the Hollywood Monument. Love that picture. Now, the the fun part of this picture is the woman there to his right, to our left, uh, she was a big knitter, and it was kind of funny. We mentioned out this this out there when we were having our pre-service prayer meeting, and one of our prisoners, like, knows this guy. So she comes off the bus, and she's like, it's Tom Brady. And she goes over to get her picture taken with him. He does these for Hollywood. He's also done them for Stonehenge (laughs) and Colonial Williamsport. (laughs) Williamsburg, excuse me. You got to love that. You got to love that. Because doesn't that just restore your faith in humanity a little bit? The guy's done 119 sweaters and he hasn't sold one. I love people like that. I feel that we can look at that and we can look at the lightness of like, yeah, there's just, there's just this place where that, that kind of faith and that kind of life comes alive, right? And that's how he makes his, makes his, his money is he goes around and he lectures at knitting conferences and he's like, he's like the grateful dead. He's got groupies. (laughs) Gotta love that. Just gotta love it. Gotta love it. Yet, this journey of faith has these light parts, but then it also has these very serious, very hard parts as well. For a lot of people in life, and I'm going to step over onto this carpet here for a minute. For a lot of people in life, we kind of step into a part of faith, that, that time where we feel like we're losing our faith. And it's a painful place to be. And especially trying to, to grow a church in this day and age, like, I want everybody to hear that, that I hear you. That oftentimes people look at faith and what they see is they see something that's mean, mean-spirited. Something that's exclusionary. 
Something that has clear edges about who's in and who's out. It's not a faith that's expansive or a faith that is freeing. It's a faith that's faith that somehow feels like it's, it's contractive and judgmental. And it's hard to find restored faith in that place. I hear that. I hear that. And what I think our job is here at New Church Live, as well as many other churches and synagogues and temples and nonprofits, is to try to see faith in a very different way. And the way we do that isn't by going launching way out into crazy ideas that, you know, like we're just going to throw it all away and just go do something new. It's about going back to the good book, saying, well, what does it have to tell us maybe about how faith can be restored, how faith can change, how faith can be born anew in our lives. Because I do really believe that that this journey is challenging and difficult. I love the way Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. You only, and I love the word she says, only. You only need to lose track of who you think you are or who you thought you were supposed to be. So that you end up lying flat, this is a great line, on the dirt floor basement of your heart. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. (laughs) Woo, that is good. That is totally good. Yeah, we do that, right? We end up, and and you can't choose to go down to the basement, by the way. You can't like, Chuck, that's great, I'm going to do it this afternoon. The basement will find you. That's, That's how this life works. We have our life, we lose life. We find life anew. We have our faith, historical faith. We lose that faith. And we find faith anew. A living faith. An incarnate faith. But that is truly where we start to find it. And you can, you can see these, these little, these little glimmers of it. Like we were down, uh, doing a meal prevention point on Thursday night. By the way, thank you so much for all the people who cooked for that. That was great. Yes, thank you. I may have had more than my share of lasagna, by the way. And it was, it was really sweet. It was very sweet. And this, this one young man, and you know, for those of you who aren't aware of Kensington, it's, it's an area where there's a lot of people who struggle with, with the, the curse of heroin addiction. And this one young man, obviously struggling, he was nodding off for part of the meal and then awake for part of it. And then I talking to him after the service, I mean, after the service, after we served him dinner. And, uh, you know, I said, what can I pray for for? And he got this big smile, this big smile, because this is where the hope always is, right? This big smile. And he's like, I'm so close to making good choices. Is that, is that beautiful? Is he sober today? I, I doubt it, but I don't know. What I know is that he's, that's, that's somebody who's holding on to faith just this little bit. And he's holding on to hope just this little bit. And he's holding on to love just this little bit. And God can do a lot with that. Because I think in those times, I think that is where we really do start to find faith. And maybe we find it fully here. Maybe we have to wait to the next life to do that. I don't know. But there's something precious there in those times of wilderness, bleakness, 
the stark beauty that can happen in those places. And I have seen it over and over again. You folks have seen it over and over again as well. So I'm going to talk for a minute about that wilderness, about that, and think of it again, the dirt floor basement of your heart. Now, wilderness shows up all throughout the Bible, and that's what it always, New Church, we, we believe in reading the Bible poetically, that it's, it's not talking about a physical, per se, wilderness, though that, that can be a nice uh, metaphor, but it's talking about something poetic underneath it, like, what is this wilderness? And what I like to do with the Bible is it's amazing when, when you study it and you just pick like a line or two and you look at it and you think, okay, what is this really saying? And especially, what is it saying in light of the history it was written in? In the times it was written in? So I want to share with you just a really quick line here. I'm going to have you say the W word. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that word wilderness there, folks, that's, that's revolutionary. John the Baptist, revolutionary. Now, not everyone here is a Bible scholar. Matter of fact, we probably have three Bible scholars in the whole congregation, so don't get nervous when I say this. John the Baptist, a, a famous personality in the New Testament. The New Testament was written after Christ was, was born, and it talks about his life. John the Baptist represents sort of a preacher, but instead of having the robes and the finery, he was dressed in furs. Instead of eating all the foods he was supposed to, to eat, kids, you'll love this, it says he ate locusts, ate bugs. And, and it's, it's clearly something, for those of you who are interested in Bible stuff, it's clearly saying, like, look, there's something different about this story. This is going the exact opposite direction, and the wilderness here is part of it. See, just that little phrase, appeared in the wilderness, that would have been read like, oh, wow. That's big. Where we just read it, appeared in the wilderness. So why? Why is that such a big revolutionary line? And what does it have to do with faith restore? Well, this is why. The next slide. The way baptism was supposed to work, this was an ancient, beautiful Jewish tradition that still gets practiced to this day. And it was the idea that before entering the temple, you were to get ceremonially cleansed in the mikvah. Could we say that together, mikvah? Mikvah, there's your beautiful word for the day. This beautiful thing. And, and it, you were to go down in there, you were to get totally cleaned. So they would give you a blessing before. You were then dipped down in the water, come back out of the water, and get another blessing. And I love, I love, I love, I was reading about the Hebrew word there for mikvah, and it's a, it's a beautiful word. And it, the root of it is something hoped for. That good. So it was this way that you were to be ceremonially cleansed on your way to the temple in Jerusalem. Do you folks see what a big deal was? it was that this was all happening in the wilderness? In a river? Not in one of those? It's a complete flip, a complete change here in the story. As the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want you to think, why is that? Like, why is this story so clearly pointing to counters? Pointing towards different ways of doing things. Pointing towards a very different approach. Because again, we go from this place over here of a, of a ceremonial cleansing to this place over here of a river 
a river. And I think so many of us, we want to be part of that river, but the river is wide. It appears like faith restored something well beyond us. All these people would have had the experience of being in that. Even Jesus would have done that. But then here comes part two. A crossing of a river, a wide river, and finding the beauty and God in there. The river is wide. You know, just like, just be in the minute. Just, just, just be in that space. The river is wide. Can't cross over. That's who this story was addressed to. I mean, that should give you chills. Because it means this story is addressed to you. This time where the river's wide, these people who just were feeling like they couldn't cross over, these people who were finding that they just couldn't quite find it. And they were searching. Even Christ was searching. This is not a story of the coronation of a king. This is a story of a savior showing us the course of life. Showing us there's great power in the simple understanding that God walks with you through these journeys, through these wilderness through these really challenging times. When you look at the shift that this would have meant, and I don't want to present it as an either-or, but it is a really interesting shift. This was a new baptism, not about becoming clean before entering the temple, but about becoming blessed before re-entering the world. That's really important, folks. These people had done part one probably many times. And now they were trying desperately to find their way to part two, to sort of the second act, to the way to see life in new ways. And I want to read for you what happens because I think it's, I think it's beautiful. And I think, I think, if I understand it right, we're supposed to read ourselves into this. New church perspective is that Christ goes through it at this level and we're supposed to at our own very human level go through the same thing. At that time, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. There's incredible beauty in that. Sometimes this gets translated, this is my beloved. That story of instead of moving from being ritualistically clean to move into the temple, to being reborn, to move into the world, all kinds of implications there. And here's this baptism, yes, for repentance of sin. In other words, thinking about those areas where we're not doing it as well as we could. But then this blessing. Some of you here today, the most important words I can say to you Today, maybe any sermon, is to say, when God looks at you, what he says is, this is my beloved. 
This is my son. This is my daughter. In whom I'm well pleased. Rebirth into a new life. Rebirth into a new faith. I think that the process kind of follows these very simple three steps. Confessed, blessed, and called. Can we say that together? Confess, blessed, called. And you see this in each one. There's a, there's a confession, that's repentance. There's a blessed, that's you are my beloved. And then there's a calling, a telos. Now that first one, confessed, is really interesting. I was talking to a dear friend who's a marriage counselor. And he was talking about working with this, with this man. And he, he said, you know, the problem is, is, is my wife keeps on telling me I'm really selfish. And so this counselor looks at him and he goes, you are. Do you see the freedom in that? We can't just, folks, we can't just jump to the blessed. That's fake. It's like somebody telling me, Chuck, you're a great dancer. No, I'm not. Not at all. I'm not blessed in that way. I mean, I do have good looks, but I'm not, I'm not blessed in that way. See, in, see, in that, that confession, folks, just, just, just think for a minute of somebody you love. And, and you know that there's, there's a part of them that just isn't working for them. It may be selfishness or materialism or anger or whatever. Imagine them coming up to you. Imagine them coming up to you and saying, Hey, honey, I just need to say, I really struggle with anger. I really struggle with anger. What does that do to your heart in that minute? What does it do to it, folks? Say it. Compassion. Asking for help. It softens. God can work with that heart. That's a good place to be. It's not a place where we necessarily need to pour a bunch of affirmations. That will come. But just hearing someone in the areas where they struggle and just saying, got it, I get it. That's a struggle. Tell me more. Just that piece. Because then, folks, what we can move on to is then we can move on to a place where we can actually start to hear that blessing. Where, we can, where we're in a place where we can actually hear the blessing. Because all our other stuff is gone. Our ego isn't in charge. Dirt floor basement. Wilderness. We can actually hear that. We can actually hear, this is my beloved. And then comes Telos. Then comes the call. A beautiful call. That call out there into the world. Fascinating, 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 fascinating. One of the accounts of this story, after John the Baptist talks about repentance, and a bunch of the people gathered say like, well, what do we do? How do we repent? Tell me, tell me, tell me. For those of you who are big to-do list people, that's what these people were. They wanted the list. John the Baptist throws a total curveball. Telos, call. He says, if you have two tunics, give up one. That is a wild definition of repentance, folks. <laughs> really. Let that sink in. 
a little digression, an important one, something I consider critically important. This cannot be a private salvation game. I think that's a religion gets totally off the tracks when we make it a private salvation game. Repentance is about that. It is about that call. It's about how do you move to that call. It's about how do you get rid of the bad cholesterol so the blood can start flowing. So you can start feeling the blessing. And once you start feeling the blessing, you can start being the blessing. And once you start being the blessing, you can count on the calls are going to come again and again and again, and the calls are going to happen right in front of your face. You are put in the world you are supposed to heal. Rebirth. Rebirth into a new world. I mean, folks, just just like, just sit, sit with the genius of this. All these people would have thought of like, okay, so I'm going to go through this temple faith thing. I'm going to go through, I'm going to get ritualistically clean, and then I'm going to enter a building, a beautiful sacred building. And I love beautiful sacred buildings. And it's not that this story says that that's wrong. Not at all. Matter of fact, these people no doubt went back to that. I'm sure of it. We know Jesus went into the temple, and we know that he could not have gone in without going through this again, this, this mikvah, going through that, that ceremonial washing. So again, you have, can't see this as either or. You have to see it as part one and part two. But this is so revolutionary. I don't have language for it. I don't. But instead of going, you know, instead of coming out of the water and looking, okay, where's the entrance? Where's the door? I'm going into the building. It's saying, okay, here's the entrance. Here's the world. Here's the portal to the divine. And it's this wide. And it's this big. And the call is all about this. God everywhere. God everywhere. Confessed, blessed, and called. When we can confess that, we can say those places, folks, where life is hard, where life doesn't work, without shame, just being like, yeah, I really struggle with this. We can understand how blessed we are. And then we can end up with a beautiful movement. I mean, it's not a surprise, folks. The baptism story happens at the beginning of each gospel. Could I get an amen on that? It happens at the beginning of each gospel. Not at the end. Because this is to be the start. This is to be the starting point. This is to be where we move forward. And what we move forward to, folks, is from a temple faith to a wilderness faith. Temple faith to wilderness faith. One which is a prescribed purity, and the other one which is this this deep, deep, deep lived sanctity of life. Can I take a little diversion with you from New Church Theology here? All right, so here's the little diversion. Sometimes it's, 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 you know, we try to talk about, okay, New Church Christianity, like how, how's, how's it formed? And I feel like there's many people who share our particular view of Christianity, many who are way outside of this denomination. So I'm not, don't want to treat it as like special knowledge or anything like that, because I don't think it is. Christ was born zero, the year zero, died like 30, 32, 33 AD, right in there. Now for some Christian faith, it's all about believing this and believing this. Believe he was born of Mary, died for our sins, 
over here. The only problem is that in a, in a graveyard analogy, this was the birth date, this was the death date. Those of you who've heard me preach a lot, what is it missing, folks? The dash. New church theology says faith doesn't lie here, though that's interesting and important and good. It's faith lies here. In that little dash. In living this stuff as best we can. That is living faith. That is the movement, I would say, away from a temple faith into a wilderness faith. And again, I want to stress, like, I think we can't ever hold it as special knowledge. I think it's a knowledge many, many people share. And they're not just Christians who share that knowledge. You know, because they can see in Christ a model for living. People like Gandhi, and then the list could go on and on. It's that life, that rebirth into life. And we can see many examples of it. How many fans of Mr. Rogers do we have here today? Woo! Yes, Mr. Rogers. I want to share with you a story about Fred Rogers. So the year is 1969. Then we're going to put a picture up here for you in just a minute. The year is 1969. What's happening at that time is there's a lot of work happening to kind of desegregate things. And one of the areas, I'm going to step back over onto this carpet, one of those things that they were trying to desegregate were swimming pools in the south at hotels, etc. Not public at public parks, but this was beyond that. This was at private hotels, etc., etc. And a famous incident took place where a number of people decided to have a swim in. In other words, they were going to integrate the pool. In a very famous moment caught on camera, you see the owner of the swimming pool walking around the pool with a bottle of muriatic acid, pouring it into the pool to force them out. Mr. Rogers takes that on. The way he takes it on in 1969 is he decides to invite a a new member into the neighborhood. And it's Officer Francois Clemens. Francois Clemens. And what he does is he has a baby pool out there on stage. Look on the left, folks. And he sits in that pool. And notice what's on Mr. Rogers' right shoulder. What do you see? A towel. Not all of you will know this. Not all of you will know, so don't feel embarrassed if you don't. Can you guess what Mr. Rogers does when Francois's feet come out of the pool? Take a guess. Dries them. What's that a reference to? Last Supper. Yeah. <laughs> Is that good? That's good. That's varsity right there. Amen. <laughs> Folks, do you see... Do you see the power in that? Do you see life reborn, life anew? The song they sang together is, there's so many ways to say I love you. It's not angry. It's not vindictive. It's not vengeful. It's not calling people wrong. What it's doing is calling people to the right. Now, Officer Clemens came back to return 1993 for a little reunion tour. Officer Clemens, by the way, is gay. 
and noticed Mr. Rogers holding his hand there. The beauty of this, folks, the beauty of just simply welcoming people in ways that are challenging sometimes, but that simply, simple welcoming people, that kind of church where, where we're reborn into faith anew, that's what this legacy can be. I think that's where the wilderness states come and that's where those wilderness states help us to move out there into the world. We go to that that basement floor, that dirt floor of our heart and something starts to grow in that place and then we come out the other end like this. Able to do these things, able to act into the world in ways that bring great healing. And guess what happens? Faith is restored. Yep, Sam Barsky restores it in a certain way. Does Mr. Rogers restore your faith in humanity? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's why Tom Hanks is doing him in a movie. Tom Hanks isn't going to do a movie about me. But that's why, and that's why it resonates, because it resonates with who we really are and what we're really searching for. And just picture Mr. Roger and Francois singing so many ways to say I love you. And an all-knowing, all-loving, all-compassionate God singing right along. Beautiful. I'd ask you now to please join me in prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer. Then you'll have an opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it or just have a moment of quiet reflection or your own prayer for a faith, for a faith restored. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, we know that our faith journey goes through phases. We have it. We lose it. We find it again. Lord, be with us in those movements. Be with us in those changes. Help us to see, Lord, that even in times of wilderness, in times of great wilderness, that maybe there we can find faith restored as well. That maybe there we can find you again. And again, Lord, not a faith as certainty, Faith too enamored with certainty becomes faith too enamored with who is in and who's out. It's not the message here. The message. Confessed. Blessed. Called. But that's our journey. That's our legacy. That's our path. Help us, Lord, to find those areas where we can admit those areas where we fall short. The shadow self, the false self, the proprium, the ego. Help us, Lord, to find those places where we come alive. Our true self, our new will, 
our heart of stone now turned into a heart of flesh. And help us, Lord, to sit tenderly, knowing the river is wide, we can't cross over. But with you, Lord, with you, all things possible, all things in love. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 